Welcome to The One Guys Show, where we're going to be bringing you nutritional and mindset insights to help you gain nutritional freedom, lose weight faster, build a winner's mindset, all without the stress, guesswork, and sacrifice that you're used to. Now, this podcast specializes in helping women break free from the dieting shackles that society has placed them in and provides them with a clear path to success. So let's dive in. And welcome, team, back to The One Guy Show. And we have a guest. Uh, I've been promising guests, I'm not going to lie to you, I've got Luke here in front of me, for a while. And we've promised and we haven't delivered because we have been slightly off our game. But today we have a very, very, very good guest. I'm going to let him introduce himself. And he's going to bring an abundance of knowledge about all things menstrual cycle and training today. But I'll hand it over to him and let him introduce um, himself to the podcast and get you guys involved as well. Over to you. Hi, thanks. Um, yeah, so my name's Luke. Um, I'm a personal trainer and nutritionist. I've been working as a PT for about a decade now. Um, I kind of got into it through sport and then started learning uh, more about training and nutrition just through my own interests. And then, yeah, took myself to university, did my personal training course while I was doing my degree in sport and exercise science. Uh, started working shortly after that. So I was working in a gym. Um, and then, yeah, over the years, just kind of did more and more certifications and qualifications. You know, within this industry, there's so much that you can do. You can do injuries or behavior change, nutrition, all that sort of stuff. So I've done bits and bobs um, and then started to gain much more of an interest in the nutrition side of things. So I did a few certifications. So we were just chatting about the fact we've both done MNU, um, which is a good uh, nutrition certification. And then just recently, uh, I guess, maybe had like a early midlife crisis due to the pandemic and then took myself back to uni <laughs> and did my master's. So I just finished my master's in obesity and clinical nutrition at UCL. Um, and yeah, again, again, due to the pandemic, I've been doing a lot more of the online side of things, a lot more posting on social media. So I have kind of half my client base in person where I work in a couple of studios now and then the other half online, which is mostly nutrition coaching, most clients wanting weight loss, but I do have a mix. Yeah, yeah, so love quick that. summary. And, and <laughs> this <life>. is <laughs> well, there you go, but this is totally new to me as well, right? Because ultimately, I assu I assumed that because you were doing your masters, that you just stayed at uni and gone through it. It was only when I think you um, outlined in one of your recent videos about that you were like, "I'm going to outline my qualifications just to show that I'm not just some like idiot with a camera spouting crap." And then you listed it, and I was like, "Oh," and I was like, "So you've obviously finished uni and then gone back as well." So hats off. Ten years later, yeah, it was a shock. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, man, like even doing MNU, right? It was going back to school was, it's not the easiest thing to like, you know, we're good with work and things like that, but to learn and to then apply and go back through that kind of like process again, it is massively like, you have to shift yourself into that mindset, right? And I can only imagine the coursework and assignments and stuff that you've had to do have been taxing. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's you've, you've got the benefit of being a bit older. So you're a bit more organized, you know, you're it's a bit more specialized as well, or it was for me anyway. And it was kind of something I had, I, I definitely had interest in my undergrad, but not as much as I did for this. Um, so I was far more interested in the topics. Um, I was more organized. But then yeah, you know, not although having done the other certifications, it's not it's not the same level. And then also this time actually working at the same time. And I thank God I didn't do it full time. I almost did it just one year and was like, oh, I'll just power through for a year. But thank <laughs> thankfully, I ch chose part time. So it was two years. So the workload was a bit, you know, a bit better. I think I, I probably wouldn't have made it if I'd done it, done it full time and then worked full time as well. Um, but yeah, it was kind of like, 
not as bad because of this job. You have some flexibility as well around like, you know, when you're working with clients and stuff. So, but yeah, most, most probably the most stressful period of my life, the last kind of like (laughs) few months of that with some of the exams. Uh, But glad I did it now. Yeah, hundred percent. And and for those of you that like don't understand, like don't know, I don't know if, if you like how Mar- I think masters and that work. We have a quite a big US base as well. But ultimately, it's like the highest level of like you get your university degree, but it's like the top level that you can kind of do, isn't it? Um, Other than so like a you PhD, can, yeah, yeah, and like a PhD or a doctorate. It, it's it's a uh, it's a very thorough <laughs> to say the least. So for you to manage, mate, if you to juggle even doing it in two years to juggle that workload, hats off to you. I definitely don't think. Don't think I could have uh, I could have done it. Um, yeah, so well done. But without further ado, so we've got Luke on the podcast here. Luke's a smart individual, and as you guys know, we talk all about women, weight loss, nutrition, and everything. Now, one thing that you don't hear us talk about a lot about is what are the recommendations in regards to women and their menstrual cycle and training. We we've, we've kind of you know spoken a little bit about some things and some recommendations. You know, as you all know, everyone should really train. It's really beneficial. But ultimately today, we wanted to get Luke on to really talk about some things that can be, you know, some general advice on training, some specific advice in regards to obviously menstrual cycle shifts and hormones, how this can impact things, what does the research show, but also look at some specific audiences and some specific types of changes that you go through, such as looking at the menopause, and then also look at other things where we're going to go into talk about under-eating and over-exercise. And I think Luke will agree when I say this, when this is so common that we see all the time with like chronic dieting and using exercises like a weight loss tool solely. And we'll dive into some more specifics, which I'm sure you guys at home will be sitting there nodding your head being like, oh my God, this is me. I wish I'd knew this sooner. So Without further ado, I'm going to kind of pass it over to to Luke now. We're going to kind of start with a bit of a basic overview of the menstrual cycle, a bit about training and, and some dive into some kind of research. And we will be talking, I always say this, Luke, we do the podcast, we give you education, but we're also going to give you some lifestyle recommendations, as Luke calls them. We call them practical applications. Every podcast has to have practical applications because otherwise... It is just a showcase of like who knows the most amount of knowledge and those podcasts are not handy for anyone. You need to also have some practical applications to be able to apply it as well. So over to you, Luke. Cool. Yeah, so I think I'm just going to give a quick kind of overview of the menstrual cycle at risk of sounding like a mansplaining the menstrual cycle. <laughs> it's kind of important. In a safe space here. Just, just in case there are those who maybe not as uh, clued up with some kind of when the hormonal changes and types of hormones that are involved and when they occur and the types of uh, hormones that are involved. So, um, of course, if we have the period starting on day one, um, the whole menstrual cycle roughly will occur over a 28-day period, although that, of course, will vary from person to person. Um, and we split this into two main phases. So we have the first roughly two weeks is the follicular phase. And in this phase, we'll have a gradual rise in estrogen while progesterone stays relatively low. We have ovulation around day 14, and then we will have a drop in estrogen and an increase in progesterone. Now, because of these hormonal changes, people give specific training recommendations um, based on that. You will hear things like people saying that you will have more, you should have more carbohydrates and focus on strength training in the earlier phases during the follicular phase because estrogen is an anabolic hormone for women. So that's when you should really focus on things like hypertrophy and strength. Uh, conversely, you might have people saying that in the luteal phase and second half of the phase, you you should be focusing on maybe more restoration, yoga, that kind of thing, and more recovery. So 
those are some of the things, but I'm sure people have heard a lot of specific recommendations given. But if we look at what the research actually says, and this is very much my approach, if anyone looks at my content, all of my, I've pride myself on being evidence-based. Now, this doesn't mean that I'm blinded by the research. Of course, you know, you've got to kind of mold that to what you see uh, work and apply that to people over years and years of training, working with people. But, you know, the basis of our recommendations have to be based on science. Otherwise, we're essentially guessing. So if we, for example, look at, uh, there was a recent meta-analysis, which is essentially a study of studies uh, by D'Souza et al., um, which looked at the menstrual cycle, the changes in hormones, um, and how those variations impacted female ph physiology and performance. And they actually also looked at oral contraceptives uh, versus placebo to look at that aspect as well. And what they actually found that the differences between the two phases, so the follicular phase and the luteal phase, um, and actually also between the um, oral oral contraceptive uh, can't talk contraceptives and placebo, um, were not associated with significant changes in exercise performance. They also found that it also um, appears unlikely to influence hypertrophy um, in response to uh, resistance training, so muscle gain. Um, also, substrate utilization, which in simple terms is the types of fuels that you are using. So whether your body is using more carbohydrates or m more fats, um, they didn't find any diff any uh, significant changes between the different phases. Um, and while the research and women are generally understudied in research. Um, there are, there, there are, this is not the only study on this. And as I say, meta analysis is a study of studies looking at all of the available evidence. So essentially what this means, and I'll explain why in a minute, is that giving specific training recommendations based on the phases of the menstrual cycle is not evidence based. Now, there are a few reasons for this. If we look at, for example, women who are on contraceptives, versus not, their hormonal profile is going to look very different uh, between those two groups. Mm -hmm. If you look at someone who is going through menopause or post-menopause, their hormonal profile is going to look very different to someone who's pre-menopause. So what you're also going to have is even within those groups is quite large intra-individual differences. So now you can see why it's very hard to give blanket general recommendations for training to people because everyone is very different so this might kind of some might be like oh okay that's a bit useless like how does that really help me so what i always recommend is actually personalization so keeping diary or using apps nowadays there are actually plenty of really good apps that you can use to track your cycle how you mm -hmm. perform your energy all those sorts of things um, i think like flow is one of them for example yeah and clues another one yeah so i'm sure you probably use these kind of things with your with your clients so you can essentially come up with your own personal goals to know maybe if there are certain phases where you can push it a little bit more, you can push it a bit less. Maybe you feel like uh, you need a bit more flexibility with your nutrition in one area. Um, so again, something else to touch on as well, which it wasn't, this study didn't look at specifically, but there are other, there are other ones because um, looking at, it's a common recommendation that in the luteal phase, you get a boost in your metabolism or your basal metabolic rate. Um, and so people often recommend, you know, upping your calories that week. It doesn't really matter. You're going to get the craving. So, and your BMR is going to get boosted so you can afford lots more calories. And it's kind of like based in truth. You may get mm -hmm. a boost of around 10 to 12%, but this is up to 10 to 12%. It doesn't mean that everyone will get that. Some people might get 
zero change in their uh, BMR, their metabolic rate. Yeah. Um, and even if you're at the higher end, in reality, that's probably maximum a couple hundred calories. So I think it's important to understand, and I talk about this with my clients a lot, that you don't need to be in a deficit all the time. And it's perfectly fine if that's a phase where you feel like you need more energy and you're trying to lose weight. You can certainly bring your calories back up closer to maintenance. That's perfectly fine to do. Um, but you just need to be aware that it doesn't mean that you can have as much as you want without any consequences because the, the changes, if there are any, in that phase are probably not as significant as we once believed. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah essentially, uh, you've got to personalize your your training and your nutrition to yourself and your own cycle. Yeah, yeah. And that's so well said. And it's such a good point. You know, we talk to all of our clients. We're like, it's really hard, especially with women's hormones, because also one cycle isn't the same as the next. You might get crazy cravings and three pounds of water gain one cycle. You might get no cravings, no weight gain the next cycle. And Absolutely. I think that's where often for women it can be quite frustrating because they're like, I thought I had this worked out and now this cycle is completely flipped. And it's like, that's why you have to, and I think that's the word like, intra-individual. That's what I was trying to say earlier and I couldn't say it. <laughs> and that's why you have to always um, treat yourself as an individual and coach yourself in regards to like your own person and understand that actually these are the typical things you can see, whether you see them and the severity that you see them. It's all about collecting data. You have to be, Hayden says it all the time. He's like, you have to be your own scientist. And we talk about this with our clients as well, that phasic dieting. You haven't got to diet all the time. If you do struggle with cravings, you do find that you are feeling a little bit more directed toward food, which you know, Luke can clarify me on this, which can be due to hormonal changes. It's like, you don't have to diet. You could diet three weeks out of the month, right? Mm -hmm. For sure, absolutely. And it's actually, I mean, with diet breaks, um, there was some kind of preliminary research showing that they might, might actually, people might get more results doing that. Um, unfortunately, yeah. some more recent research has shown that actually it probably doesn't make too much difference in terms of, you know, the, the actual numbers. However, that doesn't mean that it's not going to give you psychological benefits and help with adherence long term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's that word, isn't it, Luke? That word, adherence. It's like ultimately the biggest driving factor of any nutritional protocol that you do when it comes to weight loss is adherence. You just got to be able to adhere to it. Absolutely. And that goes to training. Okay, cool. So we get a base understanding here of obviously like nutri uh, the menstrual cycle and kind of training, touch a little bit on nutrition. And ultimately, the thing that we want you guys to take away is that there are certain things that can happen, but you need to track it yourself to understand how the science and then actually not only the science, but how do you as an individual match up with that? right? It can be this, but ultimately you're not going to know unless you collect some data on yourself, like Luke said, using apps and things like that to then understand how best to manage you as an individual and put the best thing in place for you, not for Sheila at number 42 down the road. It's for you and you at all. Um, so where would you go from, where would you go from here then, Luke? Um, I guess we can talk about, you know, as we're talking about weight loss, um, obviously people can end up going to extreme sometimes we can talk about the dangers of low calorie dieting and over exercising yeah um, for sure for sure so obviously in today's day today's uh you know day and age everyone wants quick results um and that can lead to people going to extremes i don't think you know social media doesn't help with this kind of thing i actually just posted a video yesterday um 
showing exposing some people who are now using Photoshop to edit their videos as well as photos. I think everyone kind of knew people using Photoshop for uh, for pictures, but now you can use it in video. So people are literally like manipulating their waistlines, their glutes, all this sort of stuff. So um, unfortunately, I think due to social media, um, we're probably going to see a lot more, especially um, you know young women trying more extreme measures to try to. You know, look like these people on social media, even though they literally don't even look like that themselves as I said yeah. in the video. Um, but we also need to understand the risks that come with that. So, you know, extreme under eating and over exercising is a stress on your body and can lead to things like your loss, uh, loss of your period or amenorrhea. And whenever I talk about this, it makes me kind of angry, to be honest, that I get these comments from people where they're like, oh, you know, that's great. I don't have my period. I, that's, you know, that's a good thing. I'm going to do this now. And it's like, okay, you might think you sound cool or what to it, but you know, in reality, it's really, really stupid to kind of seek that. And you know, I'm not, I put my hands up. I don't know what it's like. I don't know what the symptoms are like. I don't know what it's like to have to live with that. So I absolutely get that. However, the repercussions of going to such extremes that you lose your period um, can be very severe. And I wouldn't want anyone to do that. Yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, your menstrual cycle is a reproductive vital sign and provides insight into your hormonal profile and your overall overall well-being. So these stressful conditions that could be created by severe and prolonged uh, calorie deficits um, and over-exercising or over, you know, expending lots and lots of energy um, can stop your body producing things like estrogen, as I mentioned, is vital for female health. Um and it can actually just have profound effects on many systems within the body. So it can impact your fertility, of course, um, increase your risk of osteoporosis, which is essentially where your bones become very weak and break very easily, um, high blood pressure, increase your risk of high cholesterol, diabetes, uh, and subs subsequently put your risk of cardiovascular disease, which is you know one of the biggest killers. So trust me when I say losing your period is not something to be celebrated. Um, and if you have experienced this, I'd just like to say, like, please speak to your doctor. <laughs> um, and and uh, the other side there, of it is, oh, oh, sorry, no, you go, you go. No, I was going to say, you might have read it and I can't remember where it was, but wasn't there, some, I can't remember where I saw it. And I, so I can't, I can't cite it for us. But there was, but the, the main, the main driving thing is if you do is 100%, like Luke said, go back to your doctor. But increasing food is like the most predominant way of getting that back. And this is why I just wanted to tell Luke, you might find this interesting as well. So I know someone who does physique competing, right? She always loses her period within like two weeks of dieting. Anyway, this time what they did is actually kept her food higher, but made her do like crazy amount of steps. She kept her period for like the prolonged part of her prep because she kept her food high and increased her output. Her body didn't respect, respond as negative as it were to when they used to cut her food a lot more and do less output. That's quite interesting. Yeah, isn't it's it? very interesting. I mean, I it does go with would, the uh, science. I wouldn't have thought it'd make any difference because ultimately yeah. if she's losing fat at the same rate, the, you know, the, the balance is still the same. So that's really interesting. Yeah. And I mean, this is one person, this is one thing, but yeah, I remember her saying about, she was like, oh, you'll find this interesting, Ryan. She was like, since just increasing my output and actually keeping my food higher than it has before by about 300 calories, she was like, I've actually kept, she only then had lost her cycle, which was like weeks and weeks, if not like a few months, 
she kept it for longer, if that made sense. So her, it was a clear sign that obviously her body liked being fed. And the reason as to why, guys, that that does happen is purely in short, right? As human beings, our thing is survival, isn't it, right? It needs to keep your body at all costs. If you are not feeding it and you're giving it detrimental amounts of energy, your boot, your boot, your body is basically saying to you, we are in famine. There's not enough food around. You are not in a good state to be reproductive. So it shuts it off because it ultimately knows that you are not in a good place to have children and reproduce. Because if you're not able to feed yourself, then you're probably not going to be able to sustain an additional life. And correct me if I'm wrong. That no, no. Correct, yeah, I absolutely agree. <laughs> um, so yeah, that is why. So it, it, it is your body telling you, let's just be careful. Yeah, and I think as well, this is kind of uh, something I've spoken about a lot before is that I don't think, you know, having abs is quite a common goal that people have. And I think even even for men, if you're not, you know, a competitor, or have a specific reason to be super lean, I don't know if that's the best goal. And don't get me wrong, you, it's, uh, you know, even women, you can get women who are perfectly fine and perfectly healthy and have, and have you know, very visible abs. But, you know, this is why it's recommended for women to have around a healthy body fat is around 20 to 30 percent. And men can obviously get away with having lower. Um, but, you know, to see abs like generally people are going to be getting down to below 15 percent type thing. And it's that's when you're you're probably going to start to see issues. And, you know, body fat is not just um, a form of energy storage. It's an endocrine organ. So, you know, it it's, uh, contributes to hormonal regulation and things like this. So it's important especially for women, to have some body fat. So if you don't have abs, don't feel bad about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that, that's one thing that I literally say on like like super layman's terms. I'm like, you need body fat for hormonal productions. You're going to get into issues if you don't. And I think this is, you know, there's a lot to, to unfortunately blame for society as to what it places. And I think you do, people are like, oh, but so-and-so has a six pack. You know, I know quite a few people from the gym. They, the girls, they walk around so lean. And in my head from like, I suppose, a coach standpoint, I'm always like, how do they get away with being that lean? Like, sure. And I don't know, because you don't know the hormonal profiles, right? Because I'm like, they haven't always been that lean before they started going to the gym. Yes, they built some muscle and they now walk around that lean. But like, I know a few of them who are very, very lean. And I'm like, there must be something that signals that they are potentially too lean. Do you know what I mean? Like some sort of hormonal bounce back from that. I don't know. Like I say, I think, uh, you know, people are very different. And we, when we're speaking, we're speaking in kind of like generalizations. There are definitely mm -hmm. people who can get away with having lower body fat and will be absolutely right. fine. And of course, you know, the other side, there are consequences to having too much. So uh, it's Worst kind of finding the middle ground. Um, but I think, you know, even for myself, um, I've never, you know, I've struggled with all the same things most people have, like body dysmorphia and always wanting to change and all this sort of stuff. Um, and as a kid, I was kind of like a little, a little bit skinny fat. I was never like, you know, I've never been like obese or yeah. anything. Um, mm. But even for someone who finds it pretty easy, and I say pretty easy, I spent, again, many years building up healthy habits. But my life's not perfect. My, my life, my habits are not perfect. But I still find it relatively easy to maintain the kind of where I am. However, if I want to get very lean, I have to sacrifice a lot. And that includes energy levels libido you know yeah, all those sorts of things like the good things in life and i just basically came to the conclusion that it's not worth it and if it's not no. worth it for me i can guarantee it's probably not worth being you know lean enough to have abs mm. for most women as well
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundred, and mate, I think we've all been there. You know, I've I've gone through stages of when I was younger being really skinny. Uh, everyone that's in the podcast knows the thing that I once got dumped because I was skinny, and she went for a guy with a better body because he found <laughs> like working out. Um, it's going to haunt me for the rest of my life. Yeah, that's uh, go, trauma. Know, trauma can't be causing, isn't it? <laughs> um, but yeah, and 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 you're and you're totally right as well. It's like like I remember when I did it for. a for, a photo shoot it was back in 2017. I ate the same thing meal plan. Luke's going to laugh now. For six months, I ate the same thing. Didn't go out, didn't socialize, didn't do anything. I trashed. This was as a personal friend. I trashed my relationship with food. I binged hard, smashed on quite a few pounds straight after. And I remember it was such a good lesson. Like you said, of when I was like, great, I had that photo and I expected something magical to happen. And I was like, nothing happened. Yeah. I feel the worst. I haven't eaten a tub of Ben and Jerry's cookie dough in like six months. I'm doing cardio every day. My libido, my energy, my mood, everything was like in a real bad place. And I was like, this is not worth it. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine I did it. I did a similar thing, but it was 12 weeks. So I can't imagine how bad you would have felt after, you know, six months. I mean, I, I actually, you know, was quite similar and I was, I was, I kind of, it was very gradual where I was dieting down. It was a very gradual thing, but towards the end, it was very, it was very weird for me. I've never done that kind of thing before. And I, I totally, again, like it took me months to recover, like psychologically with my relationship yeah. with food. I was just like, I was just like binging and it's not something I've really experienced before. Like I put mm. on like 12 kilos in two weeks. It was very unfortunate that the photo shoot finished just before Christmas. So I went home <laughs> about two weeks at home over Christmas and I couldn't really train because my dad lives in the middle of nowhere. So it was a recipe for disaster. But, um, yeah, it took a, it took a while. I think these, uh, you know, again, I actually only really use those photos now to talk about the negatives of being that lean. That's basically yeah. all these. I don't use them to be like, by my plans, you can look like this. I'm like, I felt like <laughs> shit when I looked like this. <laughs> You're like, if you want to feel awful, yeah. do this. And Matt, Matt, I, I've used it like twice since. I think back in the earlier days, I was like proud that I'd done it. But like now, like that was 26. So you're talking six years on. I think I used it probably last time I used it was maybe a year ago, maybe even two years ago. And I was like, you see this and probably think, oh my God, he's in great shape. Look at the transformation between then and there. And like, he's, he's jacked and et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, I was tiny. Like you don't realize how small you get as well, but everything that negatively comes with it is never that much spoken about. And I think this is also it. Like, and we talk about like over exercising as well, even just from like a cycle, just to kind of swing it back about like, I would say with weight loss, right? Really weight loss wants ultimately the thing that creates a calorie deficit, uh, a thing that creates weight loss is a calorie deficit. When you get to your goal, the only thing that wants to change, I say this all the time, is the quantity of your food. The quality of your food, the habits, the behaviors, and the new lifestyle that you've done, they have to stay if you want to keep the results long term. And I think this is where people go so wrong is they start to implement these crazy training regimes of like running, doing like, oh, I've heard it, mate, like I got Orange Theory like six days a week. And I'm like, and they're like high intensity, smash your body up for like an hour. And I'm like, are you going to do this for the, for the next 30 years? They're like, no. And I'm like, well, then your results aren't going to stay for the next 30 years. Yeah. And I think you've got to understand that as well. It's like anything you do to get the results has to continue, arguably, if you want to keep them. So like with nutrition and training, I think the biggest thing to know is like adherence. But it's, you've got to like every woman out there should train right? Every woman really, because it's going to benefit you going through. We're going to get onto this next, the menopause and stuff like that, especially when we're at risk of sarcopenia, muscle loss. But you've got to understand that it has to be fun and enjoyable for you because otherwise you're not going to do it. Whether that's Luke doing two half hour yoga sessions a week and Ryan maybe goes for two 
two hour runs a week. But do we enjoy that? And I like math and training and loose like yoga. Yeah. Well, then that's some great exercise that we can do that me and him are going to do for the rest of the time. Is it optimal? Maybe not. There's probably other better ways that we could train for you, optimize your body, as it were. But is it optimal for us with our lifestyle, our stress, our age, our injuries, all these things? Maybe it is. It doesn't have to look like one size fits all. It's funny as well, actually, recently. So many, many years, I've, I've always trained like five, six days a week just with weight training. And it's only been the last, actually, because of the stresses of uni and when I had my exams coming up, I was like, I can't do this as much at the moment. So I, mm-hmm. I took it down to four days. I've kept it like that, actually. I like enjoy, I'm like enjoy. i actually enjoying it a lot more as well. So when I do train, I've got more energy for it and I just enjoy it. Whereas before, it was just always habit and I just did it because yeah. that's what I've always done. Um, mm-hmm. But it got to the point and, you know... Um, Thirty-three soon. Maybe I'm getting old. Can't handle it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, you know, it's just uh, I found my relationship with it. Like I've started to enjoy it a bit more. I've actually started to get like stronger as well again, which hasn't really happened recovering. for a while because I've just yeah, yeah. actually recovering properly. And I was splitting up in a way. I wasn't doing the same things every time. But so yeah. that's something that uh, you know, if it allows you to obviously you know adhere to it because you're enjoying it more and actually performing, that's quite important as well. You don't need to kill yourself every day. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's probably why most people don't manage to adhere to it long term. It's because literally they do something that they hate, but because they want the outcome. And I'm like, you know, you've got to really think about that. It's like, is it worth all the stress for the outcome? Because ultimately, the outcome, arguably, and I hate to like stamp on people's goals, the outcome is never as good as you think about it. It's like the whole, and what I mean by that is not like, don't lose weight and get to your goal because you're never going to be happy. This is that, it's that happiness. You place your happiness on that outcome. And ultimately, you, one, you shouldn't do that. But two, never do something for the purpose of, of an outcome that's superficial, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's where I'm going with that. Um, okay, cool. So we've kind of understood about the dangers of under-eating and over-exercising. We've spoken about the mental side, we've spoken about training, um, and we did cover full training, didn't we, at the beginning. So really understanding that it's got to be personalized for you. There's no crazy thing that you should do. Research doesn't actually show that we need to do any mass changes in everything that we're doing. You've got to find what works for you. I always think back, Luke, which kind of got me back in like 2013 to be like to going towards just working with women is like, I had like clients, you know, they'd, they'd come and they'd feel like absolute crap on their period. Well, they wouldn't even turn up for their sessions. Like I remember this one client during their period, they would never, cause they'd be in bed debilitated with cramps. And it really then was like, Oh, and I was like, well, I have other clients that like come in their period and they're fine. Like they don't matter. And this is where you understand that actually, you know what you as women listening to this, you understand the differences that you get, you, you compared to your friend, you understand the typical signs and symptoms. And the more that we were saying, obviously you personalize, you understand yourself, the better you're going to kind of be able to manage your nutrition, manage your training. That's, that's ultimately going to suit you. Cause some people, you know, they let you like, nah, I couldn't train on my period. Like I will just take the week off. Cause that's like, it kills my body. Otherwise, cool. That's absolutely fine. Someone might not notice anything. They can smash the gym, do some PB snatches, monkey bars, whatever it is they want. And they'll be absolutely fine. So as you go through life, we enter into, we, me and Luke don't. So <laughs> as women enter into the menopause. And, um, and I like talking about the menopause cause I think there's a lot of misconception about the menopause. There's a lot of, personal biases is what I call them and expectations of the menopause. And I think actually when sometimes you break down the science, it's not as bad as women can often think coming up to it. Cause I know a lot of women get quite scared and a lot of women also, I think a lot of personal biases and internal beliefs 
to hold them back. And I think this is so good that more people are talking about this to educate women to be like, you're not broken. You, it's not that you can't lose weight. You're not stuck like this forever. Your metabolism isn't, hasn't stopped working. Here's actually what you can do to actually smash the menopause out of the park as much as you can. Obviously, I, I'm not taking any, uh, any credit away that it is a hard time in your life, 100% from what I've heard from clients, etc. But there are plenty of things that you can do to make it as easy and as not enjoyable, that's the wrong word, Ryan, as easy and as sustainable as possible. We'll say sustainable in this podcast, that's what we say. Um, so cool, we'll throw it over to Luke and we'll throw him in at the deep end and get Luke's uh, honest and open uh, educational feedback in regards to the menopause and recommendations from there. Sure. So yeah, so of course the menopause um, essentially marks the end of the reproductive years and the ovaries stop producing eggs and uh, it's categorized by going 12 months without a period. Now, what can happen is we see a decline in certain hormones. So some of the hormones that I mentioned previously, so estrogen and progesterone, and then we see increases in other hormones such as cortisol. This can lead to people getting symptoms such as hot flushes uh, or flashes, uh, sleep disturbances, uh, mood changes. Um, Your body may actually change physically as well. So where you store fat changes. So you may get more fat being stored around the belly or what we call visceral fat. So this is the fat that sits around your organs. Um, and this is the fat that actually is the one we need to pay attention to. So the subcutaneous fat, the fat that's maybe on your limbs, you know, you might not like it aesthetically, but from a health perspective, it's probably no, you know, it's nowhere near as, uh, something to worry about compared to the visceral fat. This is something that we, we do need to, um, think about. So you may get an increase our visceral fat, which can lead to metabolic disturbances. Um, we may also see, as uh, Ryan mentioned, a loss in muscle mass. So uh, sarcopenia is called age-related muscle mass uh, loss. Um, and together, these things can contribute to unfavorable changes in your cholesterol levels, high blood pressure, osteoporosis, and increase your cardiovascular disease risk. Again, which is uh, you know one of the biggest killers, biggest killers, as I mentioned earlier. Um, so what can you actually do just from like a health perspective? Um, of course, HRT or hormone replacement therapy is an option, but there are downsides or potential downsides to that. So that would, of course, be something that you discuss with your doctor. Um, we will go on to the kind of training side of it in a bit. Um, you can supplement or consume more foods that include uh, vitamin D, so oily fish, fortified foods, eggs and things like that. Um, and you also want to focus on calcium-rich foods as well. So, of course, dairy is an obvious one. Um, you also may want to limit and pay attention to your saturated fat. So these are the types of fats that are generally present in uh, fatty meats and full-fat dairy, which kind of sounds counterintuitive to what I just said. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, again, contributing to uh, because it plays a role in increasing cholesterol levels and cardiovascular disease risk. Um, you want to increase your intake of nuts, beans, fish, pulses, all the things that can take, uh, contain unsaturated fats or poly and monounsaturated fats, so the heart healthy fats, uh, high fiber foods, and then of course limiting alcohol and caffeine, um, especially as this can exacerbate some of the symptoms I mentioned, such as hot flushes. So those are kind of just some general things for health. From a weight management perspective, um, this can be a difficult time, and there are many reasons that it can be harder. A lot of people online will tell you that because of these changes, it's all about the hormones and the calorie deficit doesn't work. Calories in, 
cal versus calories out doesn't apply anymore. And as I always like to say, you know, just kind of shouting about calories in versus calories out is largely unhelpful. And it is simplifying, it's oversimplifying a very complex topic, but it doesn't mean that energy balance as a physiological mechanism does not apply. So why can it become harder then? Well, the symptoms that I just mentioned at the beginning, so like hot flushes, sleep disturbances, uh, low energy, mood swings, all of these things can make it harder to adhere to your diet and your exercise regime. And, um, you know, again, the cortisol, which I mentioned, can increase. That might increase cravings. And then the disruptive sleep and energy is going to make it harder to manage your energy out as well. So the thing is, we do have studies, and I'm just going to mention one, for example, that put two groups of women on uh, a low-calorie diet, match calories, Mediterranean-style diet for eight weeks, and then obviously measured the changes to kind of see if there's a difference between the premenopausal group and the postmenopausal group. And they actually found that there weren't any differences. And of course, this is in like a, you know, a setting where they're controlling the food and things like that, just so we can actually tease out these mechanisms. Is it because energy balance doesn't apply or is it because it's harder to adhere to a deficit? And they, they found there was no um, statistically significant differences. And I actually don't know if it's this study or a different one. They actually found that postmenopausal women actually lost more weight. So, and more fat. So energy balance still applies, but you need to have some, uh, empathy and you know um not be so hard on yourself because there are absolute legitimate reasons why weight weight management can become harder and you know when you're losing weight it's always important anyway but as we mentioned during this phase it's also even more important to focus on getting enough protein and resistance training now resistance training doesn't have to be weight training it's anything that's like weight bearing exercise so like technically like rowing or swimming or something like that is still resistance exercise. I do think like actual weight training is probably, as we mentioned, probably, you know, the most optimal thing if you're wanting to maintain uh, muscle and make sure you don't lose or maybe even gain a little bit. But um, those other things are still good and they will still help to make sure that you are not losing muscle, which is going to contribute to this um body composition that may lead to unfavorable changes in your hormonal profile and consequently your health. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a really good kind of like breakdown for it all. And I think this is where the struggle is, is you got to think, right. That like, from this perspective, it's like, as we get older, we do less steps. Like I even think like 10 years ago when I was 23, I'm now 33. I used to, I was way more active at 23 than I am 33. Like life change. I've now got a kid. There's so much to change in your life that that could probably be one of the biggest changes that you face is that you just move less. Right. And I think the issue becomes is because sometimes we over complicate it because of we we try to overcomplicate almost just the reasons to why this isn't working with weight loss because we're so frustrated. We're like, it has to be something bigger. There has to be something more meaningful here as to why I can't. And you're like, often actually, it still comes down to maybe you're moving less and you're overeating more because of exactly the mechanisms you were talking. You know, sleep, we know can have a response in regards to hunger. Again, cravings. Again, you're like, even your kind of like cognitive management, right? You're tired and I put some ice cream in, in front of Luke and he's had eight hours sleep or three hours sleep. What's going to be harder to say no to? Three hours sleep or eight hours sleep? Well, three hours sleep. He's tired. He's going to be ratty, not really feeling that great. His mood's going to be different. It's going to impact that. And I think one thing when you were saying about this, Luke, is I was kind of talking from, I'm talking from like a, more of, I suppose, like a psychological aspect, right? 
when we go through the menopause, when we go, when women go through the menopause, it's really hard because also they get what many women call like the, the midlife spread, right? The midriff spread, the tire, etc. It can knock your confidence and your self-esteem. If you don't feel good about yourself, it ultimately can actually be very hard to take action in regards to actually wanting to put it right because it can lead to some women probably feeling a little bit unhappy, lacking confidence, lacking self-esteem, which all can make it a little bit of a struggle to make the right choices, want to go out and be active, go to the gym, sometimes eat healthy because we eat in in regards to our emotions. We all do it, right? Me and Luke were saying earlier about our relationships with food. So I think even kind of the visible aspect of when we start to store more body fat around that midsection, that can then have a knock-on impact in regards to like psychologically how we feel about ourselves and our actions in day-to-day life as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it can become a bit of a vicious cycle. And I think I just want mm. to clarify again, because whenever I talk about these things, I like to make sure that people understand. I'm not saying, oh, you know, someone's just lazy or they're not trying hard enough. Um, but I think it's important to understand where the barriers actually are so you mm. can overcome them. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. we are not in any way, shape or form, and everyone in this podcast knows that I wouldn't get anyone on here that's going to say they're lazy, <laughs> right? Um, is that it's not that like you're broken, it's not that you can't be fixed. And we've had some tough loft episodes, actually, Luke, so it's all good. In regards to being like, it is just a simple energy balance equation, but there's so many things through the menopause and sometimes hormonal shifts, your lifestyle, your environment, your psychology, that make losing weight so hard because it makes that output so your movement difficult to keep up and then it makes your input difficult to keep down right it's these influencing factors that indirectly cause weight gain right it's not that you hit the menopause and menopause directly cause fat gain no it's the indirect impact that all these other factors had on your kind of like consumption of of food on on a basis man we've been firing some some serious i hope you guys like this this is a like we never cite stuff I, and i get why you do it because obviously you want to ultimately be like look we're signing it so that as a guy as a we we've talked about women's stuff for years so we're lucky that we've got a supportive community as i said to luke earlier not everyone's supportive but i think it's brilliant when we get someone like luke on who then actually can cite the research to show actually it also clarifies luke that me and hayden aren't just talking rubbish that we've made up we actually have someone here bringing some science and hopefully these things are kind of relating and you're like oh yeah ryan hayden have said about that we don't just make this up off the top of our heads we do understand this as well so would you like to kind of round this up at all luke kind of uh, encompass everything or add anything or are you like nope i think we've covered everything and we can wrap this party up as we um, say no i think it's good but just to say as well you know i'm kind of like talking about these things and i could uh you know a lot of these people probably don't know me but you know if you want me to provide any of this research feel free to dm me i mean it's all <laughs> cited throughout my my videos my content um if you find videos on topics it's all cited and of course i'm just using a couple examples but when i use examples they they are typically representing a broader body of research um yeah. which again i do kind of typically cite within my content but if anyone wants me to prove that i'm not just making things up feel free to message me and ask for it if you want to read them yourself um, do it, do but. it, just to give them some more work. <laughs> and man, plug, plug yourself. We are a community of lovers here. Um, sounds a bit weird. Uh, but yeah, plug yourself. Drop like Instagram, YouTube, and let them know about what you've just released as well. Because at the end of the day, there's so many people in the world that we can all help. And if you like me and you want to sign up, me and Hayden Awesome. If you want to go get coached by Luke, awesome too. So plug yourself, drop your, let, let the podcast know now. Over to you, Luke. Give, give 
middle of, I'll give you you got 10 second plug before I appreciate that well so across <laughs> all of my socials so I predominantly post on Instagram and TikTok um, it's just Luke Hanna Nutrition Hanna spelled H-A-N-N-A uh, Luke Hanna Nutrition on everything um, if you want to contact me about anything you can DM me or email me um, I have just of course I do as I mentioned the one-to-one personal training I do online coaching so I have clients all over the world mostly uh, nutrition coaching but I do training plans and I have some little preset training plans or personalized ones that people can have um, or buy rather I uh, can't have them <laughs> but I have just released I've been working with um, someone else who's quite big on social media so his name's Dr. Ids he's a medical doctor but he has a master's in nutritional research um, so we've just released uh, an educational I don't like to call it a course it's more like an educational resource slash course um, called the Lean Out Project which is essentially at the moment it's about 40 videos um, and we cover everything from the fundamentals so explaining energy balance in detail and macronutrients everything people need to know from the and build the knowledge from the ground up all the way down to how to set goals how to build habits um, we even have a clinical nutrition module where we do cover some of the things we've spoken about in more detail um, so we have like you know, menopause, um, exercise, nutrition for menstrual cycle, but we also have videos on like hypothyroidism, um, IBS, FODMAPs, all that kind of thing. Um, so we've just basically tried to create this like holistic product that essentially covers everything. And because, you, you know, nutrition, uh, sorry, social media is a crazy place and nutrition and fitness <laughs> industry is a fucking mess. You know, mm. so many people talking absolute nonsense. We wanted to create something that is, uh, you know, created by people who are, well, I don't say so myself, credible, um, <laughs> you know, actually have qualifications in the uh, right kind of qualifications, not just trying to, you know, just uh, plug rubbish supplements and stuff. Um, and we also have kind of uh, guest videos as well. So every module has at least one guest video from other doctors, dietitians and things like this. So we have not just our expertise, but expertise and experiences from other people. And actually something I want to um, include more is not just have the qualified people, but also I'm going to get more of like people's personal experiences. So hopefully one of the videos we've got coming soon, I should say that she's also very, I know her from UCL. She did a, a master's in public health and uh, no, clinical nutrition and eating disorders. But she used to have an eating disorder herself and has lost 50 pounds or so. Um, so we're going to get her to do a video, not so much talking about like science or anything like that, but like her personal experiences. So, you know, uh, sorry, to probably waffling on too much, but, you know, no, we've no, spent okay. a long, many years actually creating this and that's something that's available. So if people can't afford, for example, the one-to-one coaching, this is a kind of alternative where they can get all of the same knowledge, the practical tips and things that we would do with clients to get them results, but for you know a cheaper price. And of course, that, that they can also sign up to a community within that as well. There you go, team. So it's you had a pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all for that, man. Support each other. Do you know what I'm There's too many people that like coaches out there, guys. Like you must have seen it. Like they'll never work together. They'll never talk. You're not allowed to talk about things. They only have people on their podcast that are going to like ultimately. Like I know so many people that only want people on their podcast with bigger following so they can hijack their audience. And I'm like, just get someone who knows anyone. It doesn't matter. Like the following doesn't mean you know anything. Do you know what I mean? Like th- this is it. And. So if you're liking to, like Luke said, if you actually want to kind of something that's a bit more kind of self-paced in regards to like actually educating yourself to empower yourself to become your own coach, which is something me and Hayden are massive advocates of, go check out Luke's page, go check out what he does and you can have a little insight in there. But apart from that, Luke, thank you very much. Uh, Appreciate you coming on. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you guys at home have enjoyed it. Um, But apart from that, we will see you in the next episode. Take care.